brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, uh, good morning to you on this uh, Wednesday morning, a very special morning for women all around the world. It is International Women's Day, uh, so we've got a special show, and it's aimed very much towards uh, the women in sport. Uh, it's associated uh, with brand, of course, uh, our local John Deere equipment supplier, all their branches uh, around the country. Please visit them. They're doing great work in the relief uh, for the East Coast in particular, providing uh, equipment and, of course, uh, vehicles as well. So thank you, Brent, uh, for all that you're doing there. Uh, it's uh, a Women's Day, so we will highlight women in sport and uh, women in administration and sport as well. Um, former uh, tall fern Megan Compain will be joining us very shortly. Megan is uh, still the only New Zealand woman to have made it to the women's NBA in America. A wonderful story this, uh, and still heavily involved in basketball. We're going to find out a little bit about Megan and the basketball, uh, of course, situation for uh, young girls and women in this country. Uh, Candice Riley, former New Zealand elite rower and endurance athlete. Uh, Candice uh, is also uh, part of Save Women's Sport Australasia, uh, calling on New Zealand sporting organisations to implement clear policies to protect fairness, safety and opportunities of women and girls in sport. So Candice will be with us uh, around about 9.30 this morning. Uh, Susan McFadden, extremely well-known, award-winning journalist, of course, uh, editor of The Locker Room. And uh, Susan Suzanne will be with us uh, just after 10 o'clock this morning. She's uh, a wonderful journalist. Uh, and we'll be talking to her about uh, women's sport in the media. Uh, do they get a fair crack? Uh, we'll have uh, a Cyclone Relief uh, fundraiser announcement, maybe, around about 10.30 this morning if it comes through. Uh, we'll have a little bit of a balance just after 11 o'clock. Uh, David Bileski will come to us because the Players' Championship is coming up this weekend. Uh, we're going to talk about the players and the course, of course, TPC Sawgrass and all its little idiosyncrasies. I'm going to go to the sports desk um, and uh, hear from uh, Charlize Ledger-Walker. So uh, well, it's uh, interesting because she's uh, doing great things in college basketball. Uh, across to uh, um, Andy Thompson, they're in about 11.47. Mount Rushmore, we're going to have a Mount Rushmore. We haven't had one for a while today. Uh, Kiwi women in sport, uh, those uh, four women, perhaps four women that in your, in your particular opinion ha have um, been the greatest influence on women's sport in this country. Uh, there are a heap of them. When you do your research, there are hundreds, literally hundreds of great women's performances. We're just looking for four uh, who, in the history of New Zealand women's sport, have been perhaps the most impressionable for you. So a really busy show, and hopefully all the ladies out there will enjoy it. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, long before Yvette Williams became New Zealand's first female Olympic gold medalist, there was Violet Walrond, New Zealand's first female Olympic representative. Walrond opened an Olympic door for the women athletes of New Zealand. She was just 14 when she was chosen to compete at the Antwerp Games in 1920. 15 when she swam in the cold, dark waters at the hurriedly constructed canal complex, which had no lanes near the city centre. There was little preparation and training opportunities were limited on the nine-week journey just to get there. There were no uniforms and fern leaves on their hat bands were the only features which distinguished them as New Zealanders. 
Walron stood 1.6 metres tall, weighed 48.5 kilos, but it acquitted itself admirably 5th of 19 in the 100 freestyle, 7th of 16 in the 300 metres. Paris and the 1924 Olympics beckoned. She would have been 19, but her father and coach Cecil said no. He wanted less limelight on Walron and her talented sister Edna. Back then, there were family matters, and that's what mattered the most. In Olympic terms, all New Zealand women athletes were to follow in trailblazer Walron's footsteps. One of the pioneers of New Zealand women's sport, seldom mentioned, but right there at the very start. Well, today is International Women's Day, and to help celebrate that here on SENZ, we wanted to pay attention to one of the big growth sports in New Zealand and find out a bit more about how it's handling the demand and where it's going next. And I'm talking about women's basketball, and who better to get uh, into that subject than an icon of the game, Tall Fern's great Megan Compain, who serves now on Basketball New Zealand on the board. Good morning, Megan. Thanks for joining us. Morena, Smithy. How are you? And happy International Women's Day to you. How are you going to celebrate? Oh, well, every day is International Women's Day for me. Um, <laughs> I wake up every morning and I'm a woman uh, and I'm living, living uh, in, in the best country in the world. So, so life's good. Thank you very much. But um, um, I heard your little sermon to start and, and, um, and I wanted just to say thank you and, and appreciate you having me on. No, that's great. Thank you, uh, Megan. Old, we really by have... the way. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. You're far from. Uh, well, you are actually a pioneer because I'm going to, uh, and I'm going to highlight to uh, our uh, listeners who probably know already. But yours is a great story because you actually uh, ended up um, in the women's NBA. But it started because you went on an exchange to New Jersey. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, I um, I ended up at a high school in New Jersey uh, at 16 years old, and and then at the time when I was over there, and then I was seen and got the college scholarship. I think there was maybe only about five um, of a of you know Kiwis over there playing basketball at college in the college system. You know now there's over a hundred, uh, so the pathways have just opened right up. And, and as you say, a testament to the talent that's coming out of New Zealand for both men and women. And the the US pathway is, is such a great one to um, to grow and develop our, for our game. Well, 1997, um, and I'm not dating you here, 1997, Big Five Player of the Year, Big Five Hall of Fame player as well because um, you guided the uh, the St. Joseph Hawks um, to some real prominence. And as a result of that, uh, you were, of course, signed um, to the Utah Stars. Now then, tell us about how you felt. Did you, when you went, did you actually dream of doing this? Oh, I don't think so, not at the very beginning. You know, I, I grew up in, in, in Whanganui in the 80s, so um, not quite the, the, the town it is today. So, yeah, it, it was sort of that. I, I just was happy to be out of there. Um, and, and I played basketball, so I had aspirations. of I, I idolised the US system. You idolised the NBA. There wasn't uh, the WNBA or, or female role models to look up to then. So the US was always definitely a pull. But... You know, the timing, it's all, and I often say this about my, my life and my story, is it's all about timing and, and making the most of those opportunities. And my senior year in, in college, as you say, we, we had a really good year. Um, 
Actually, just watching Sally Sledger Walker win her first inaugural championship, Pac-12 championship for her college, and um, and the excitement that that's uh, created in the basketball world here took us took me back to my senior year, and we we did the same thing. Um, it's the days before social media, so it, it didn't probably reach the uh, the headline uh, over here. <laughs> but um, the WNBA was created in my senior year, so uh, as soon as that was. Yeah, a perceived opportunity, then I definitely turned my attention to it. But again, it was 12 teams, sorry, yes, um, no, what were we at the time? Eight teams, um, 12 players on the roster, uh, and, and all the international talent and all the, of course, the American talent. And, and yeah, the chance to actually make a team in that first year was pretty improbable. So um, I was I was just very lucky to, um, to to have my moment again at the right time, at the right place, and, and, have, a, um, and have that experience. Can you remember, um, and I, I suppose in terms of tax and that things, it's well and truly gone now, but here's the thing. Uh, can you remember what it was worth to be a professional women's basketballer back then? <laughs> I can ex- remember exactly what it was worth, Nadine. <laughs> I got paid 10000 US, uh, US dollars, and to me that was an absolute fortune <laughs> because um, I'd gone through the college system uh, and obviously had all, all my scholastic, um, uh, the, the books paid for, and my my college uh, degree and education paid for, but there was no money changing hands then, no no image and likeness rights um, fees that we could we could earn like the kids do now, which is which is fantastic. Um, so ten thousand was a lot of money there at that time, and um, and it was it was for four months uh, commitment, so a month of pre-season and then three months of the actual season. So I didn't think I was doing too badly at the time. Well, you weren't probably, and you were living the dream, I suppose, as well, which is which is pretty damn good. Um, okay, so let's let's uh, can we go forward to today, uh, Megan, because you're still heavily, very heavily involved, being on the board of Basketball New Zealand. Uh, so, what goals and aspirations uh, do you have um, from a board point of view, and you personally, actually, in regards to continuing the growth of uh, women's basketball in this country? Uh, it's, it's it's a really good question and when I came back to New Zealand after living overseas for 18 years I, I didn't actually step back into the basketball scene right away it took me probably about eight years before I, I, I started to get myself back involved in basketball and a lot of that came down to um, having my first and only child in my early 40s and realising that basketball gave so much to me and it's a sport that I would have, I would love him to continue if he's interested and, and then you start to to, to have different lens on on participation and 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 growth of of um of what I think is one of the most exciting games, um in in, in New Zealand as well because of the talent. So that's when I so stepped back into the basketball scene and 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 was um elected to the to the board of basketball New Zealand. Now been sitting there for almost three years. Um and and whilst the community game and growth and and grassroots is is really important, I also had a a strong focus on. On women and girls, and our our professional game, um, with regards to pathways and um, and and support for our tall firms, and making sure that they had meaningful programs so that they could achieve their objectives and, and goals on the on the world stage as well. So, I've been lucky in the in the time that I've been there to be heavily involved in the establishment of the Tawihi Women's Professional Basketball League, and almost uh, heading into their second season. Um, last year was a was a huge success. We were able to attract a lot of our own talent back home for the first time. That that um, our tall firms who were playing overseas and had to fly their trade overseas were able to come home and play in New, in, in, in New Zealand in front of uh, friends and whanau. 
Um, and that was really satisfying. Um, and also the international talent that, that this league attracted uh, to, to showcase such an incredible product on, on the court was, was incredibly exciting. So for me, um, you know, my, my aspirations are to continue to, to allow our, our sport to grow at the, at the participation level, but also to exceed at the high performance level. So I think that we've got such untapped um, ability and, and when we have a really uh, a strong program and platform in place for performance, uh, we can really compete on the world stage. Uh, Megan, one of those avenues, of course, is uh, the Tohi League, which is now going into its second year. Um, how do you gauge the success of year one and um, the, the pathway to, uh, and the prospects of, of year two? How, how did you feel it went? Uh, I, I'll be completely honest with you because there was so much hype going into the league and, and, and we were really excited about the talent that we'd drawn home, the, the commercial partners that had jumped on board. Obviously, um, a huge contributor um, was Sky Broadcast, um, as a key partner and, and broadcast partner. Uh, but when I watched the first game, I was nervous. I was very nervous because we had all these eyeballs on on the product, and 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 my nervousness was where where we had been in the past in terms of our, you know, semi-professional uh, league that the the actual product you know was lacking. And um, when I watched the first game, uh, it was I believe it was the Hui Ho against um, uh, the Poakai, so the two southern teams. The first. Mm-hmm. I think the first sort of six, seven minutes, um, it was fast. Um, shots were made. It's defensive hustle. I said just two things: hit open shots and don't turn the ball over. And I wasn't disappointed. And I think the league just continued to get better and better. The teams came together. They didn't have long before we had, they had to step on the court and play together. So the longer we went through the season, you could really see those teams coming together and gel. High scoring games too. We had games in the seventies and eighties, which just creates a, a, a spectacle for, for fans. So in terms of success factors, um, we're still here, we're still around, we're, attracted, we're attracting the same level of talent, if not better, um, into the leagues and onto rosters this year. Um, Sky were happy, that was the first question I asked at the end of, end of the season. Yeah. Um, are Sky Sport happy? Is Sophie happy? And, um, and we achieved our, our um, broadcast targets and we achieved our commercial targets as a, as a league. And, um, and and the teams are all back, um, ready to go for season two with um, with memberships back on sale. So um, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how league uh, the year two um, uh, falls out. I think each team will have their own learnings um, on an individual level, um, but the product itself was really exciting, and it did what we wanted it to do: was showcase professional women's basketball, bring our tall friends home, and help develop the younger talent. Uh, Megan, going forward and looking at the Olympics now, of course, there's um, uh, traditional basketball, and there's three by three included in the Paris 2024 as well. So, when the New Zealand, but um, when New Zealand basketball, basketball New Zealand, look at this, do you have separate programs, perhaps like we've just seen with women's rugby with the sevens and the fifteens games? Would would you would you have a, a, a talent pool to be able to do that? Yeah, yeah, we do, and it's becoming. Uh, whilst it's not as specialised as, as rugby, 
there are definitely players who are who are tending to go down. Uh, there will be players that will go down the three x three route, and it's a. It's, I've been a slow adopter to three x three. I'll be completely honest with you, because I, I, I kind of feel like I'm I'm a little bit older and I've come from a traditional, um, a little bit more traditional and conservative background when it comes to sport. But my eyes have been open since I've been sitting in the board seat of the potential of three x three. Obviously, it's been recognised at the international level through Commonwealth Games and, and the IOC. Um, we actually, but from a participation level, it's a phenomenal um, product to, to keep kids in the game. Um, not like most sports, if you, you know, more more people on the on the court, um, harder to to keep your uh, participation involved. Um, so for the three x three game, you're going to touch the ball, you're going to shoot it. So at a pure participation level, it's a really exciting product. As we start to um, develop and mature our high performance program and pathways, I think you'll start to see players gravitate to a 3x3 proposition and you know potentially in favour for 5x5 um, but from a um, from a board priority and an NSO perspective 5x5 is still um, is still the core of, of our game um, it's still the yep. you know the international game when you think about uh, think about basketball so we, we won't be going in one direction at the expense of, a, of another I think it'll be the opportunity to develop a whole different talent pool over here with 3x3. Megan, the FIBA Women's Asia Cup runs through June, July this year. It's uh, across in Sydney. It acts as a qualifier event for Paris 2024, the Olympics there, of course. Uh, how do you think the Tall Blacks could potentially stack up against the likes of Japan, China, South Korea and the hosts? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an exciting year. And the Tall Ferns, um, like most sports teams, but particularly you know, high-performing women in sports, Teams uh, have been, you know, impacted by by the last three years of COVID, with lack of programming and and lack of time together. Um, so it's going to be a real challenge uh, for for the women coming together. Um, however, we have probably the best and strongest um, talent pool to pull from. And as you say, that they're, they're playing a lot of basketball. Um, whether we've got the our superstars in the US shining at, um, in the college system. Um, a lot of our, our tall firms playing in the Australian League, which is touted as one of the, the, the top three, four leagues in, in the world, um, and some really, really exciting young talent coming through. For me, it'll be about time together. We've always, we've always actually um, competed really well against the Asian teams. So when the qualification model moves to um, a zonal qualification opportunity with um, with Asia and Australia New Zealand it actually gives us a better chance to qualify for those world events versus just a straight um, uh, one versus one <laughs> competition with Australia who uh, continue to be in a in, in, in another league in terms of um, their performance on the world stage so I'm 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 I think it's going to be a challenge I think it's going to come down to how we can support our women uh, getting to uh, the tournament, how much time we can get them uh, together on the court uh, with our coach Guy Malloy. Um, but we'll, all, I know we'll always show up. I mean, that was the one thing that I think basketball for men, our men and women teams around the world. Whenever we step on the court in the black singlet, uh, we we always show up and, and we always um, play hard and, and play our best. Uh, so there's, uh, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll be there cheering for them. Um, and uh, wishing them them well, certainly. Uh, but it comes down to, to what we can do and give to them before we um, we put them on the court. Wouldn't it be cool if uh, Charlize followed in your steps, Charlize uh, Ledger Walker, um, possibly as the next one into the WNBA? How cool would that be? 
I can't. I, I honestly, I can't wait. I've been talking about it for three years, and, I, and, and showing my age, I played um, with her mum, Leanne, and, and she's obviously got um, a really t- talented. All three daughters are, are, are incredibly talented with with Crystal over, overseas playing in Australia, and and Tanika, the young one coming through, who who's um, incredibly talented as well. Um, I've, I've said it before, and and I, you know, I'm I'm realistic about. about you know my my time and um, and 25 years ago I I made the WNBA and and I appreciate every opportunity I get to talk about that experience so thank you again for having me on but I know that the next one that makes the WNBA won't take 25 years to be talked about you know we we will be celebrating her um, as we should be um, in lights um, when it when it happens and and I can't wait um it's been way too long between drinks. <laughs> so um, Charlize is putting herself in the best possible position to, to achieve that dream and achieve that goal, and we're right behind her. Well, look, uh, Megan, it's been fantastic catching up with you. Uh, again, I know you've done wonderful work in rugby as well, but um, now back um, in, the, in the basketball side of things, I think uh, it's terrific news. Uh, also, um, I hope you have a, a wonderful International Women's Day. Uh, I think, as you say, Thank every day is, is the same for you. But, but also, for you in particular, <laughs> being a, a nigh-on 83% free-throw shooter. <laughs> Yeah, there's one thing I can control, right? Control the controllables. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, outstanding catching up. Uh, have, have a terrific day. Thank you. Lovely to chat. Thanks, Smithy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Rightio, it's uh, 9.24. We'll be back. Uh, hopefully we'll have time for a quick visit to the sports desk, and then we've got Candice Riley coming up after 9.30. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Turn up the volume, we're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Well, Smithy, a big one for International Women's Day is to come from New Zealand cricket. After more than a decade since the competition was last delivered, they've announced that the Women's North v South T20 Series will return to Burt Sutcliffe Oval this weekend. The three-match series has been reintroduced to provide greater playing opportunities for promising female players and will be delivered annually in line with the commitment made in last year's master agreement, which of course that's all in part with the the pay as well. Selection is based on performance at a domestic and international level and is part of an ongoing effort to develop a women's A program. New Zealand Cricket's head of high performance, Liz Green, who played in the last North East South tournament in 2010-2011, said the original establishment of the series will provide players with pivotal development opportunities. The two squads have been named. The Northern squad will be coached by Sarah McGlashan. The South will be coached by Dean Brownlee. Uh, in the North, you have Bernadine Buzenhut, Rebecca Burns, Lauren Down, Izzy Gaze, Maddie Green, Brooke Halliday, Fran Jonas, Lee Kasprick, Jess Kerr, Rosemary Mayer, Jess McFadden, Nancy Patel, Molly Penfold, Georgia Plymouth, and Hannah Rowe. And then in the south, you have Kate Anderson, Sarah Asmussen, uh, Missy Banks, Susie Bates, Emma Black, Caitlin Blakely, Eden Carson, Kate Ibrahim, Olivia Gain, Claudia Green, Abraham Houghton, Polly Ingalls, 
Inglis, sorry, Bella James, Felicity Leighton Davis, and Gabby Sullivan. Sophie Devine and Mealy Koo were unavailable for selection due to their part in the inaugural WPL. And Hayley Jensen is out with a knee injury sustained during the ICC Women's T20 World Cup recently in South Africa. And Leah Tahuhu is unavailable due to a PSL exhibition match, Smithy. Uh, okay, interesting. Uh, just more and more support for women's cricket. And uh, that'll be well supported down there in Christchurch as well at the beautiful Hagley Oval. Right, uh, we've got uh, many, many more women to speak to this morning and to listen to, including uh, the wonderful Aroha Hathaway. Here's uh, the 9.30 news. Right, to coincide with International Women's Day... Uh, the organisation Save Women's Sport Australasia has published results of an independent poll carried out in February last year and this year that posed the question, do you support biological males competing in women's sport if they self-identify as women? It's a tricky area that the national sports bodies are navigating in different ways as they come up with their policies on how to include transgender athletes. Of course, we've been through this, haven't we, not that long ago. Uh, with Laurel Hubbard, very high profile. Uh, joining me now is former rower and endurance athlete Candace Riley, who is the spokesperson for SWSA. Good morning to you, Candace. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Candace, of course, uh, you come uh, with a very serious background in women's sports, so you have a vested interest. Of course, uh, these two polls, independent polls, show a decline and support for male athletes who self-identify as women competing in women's sport. How much of a decline are we talking about here, and are you surprised by the results? Um, no, I mean, we're not surprised at all. I think the more that the public come to understand the issue and the implications for women and girls, the more opposed they become to males being able to compete in the women's category. So we've seen a decline um, of 12% compared to the last poll last year. Um, and we know that more females are being impacted by um, women who identify as men in the female category. Um, and, I, you know, we're a proud sporting nation and I don't think New Zealanders are going to be happy about this as it happens more frequently. Who did you poll? Who, who, were, who were the uh, main um, people you targeted in the poll? Um, so the poll is run by David Farrier. Um, it's Kura uh, Polling, so it's, he's an independent polling, um, I suppose, company that they they run the poll. So we have nothing to do with it. Um, we have commissioned them, and they run it. And he he often runs these polls on um, politics, I suppose. So. Okay, so uh, Candice, uh, the other thing I suppose within the last uh, twelve to twenty four months. It's become, I think, a lot more of um, a talked-about issue, I think that's fair to say, yeah? Yeah, absolutely, because, um, well, Sport New Zealand has just finalised their transgender inclusion guidelines, um, which says um, if a male says he has a female identity, he will be able to compete in the female category, no questions asked. So that's what they are asking to uh, sporting organisations to implement. So it completely um, it completely uh, destroys the integrity and the credibility of the female category. It's so unfair. I mean, it's very regressive. We we already have this happening um, from within. You know, we have uh, women and girls 
who have contacted us from age 12 to age 60 who have been impacted by this already. Um, they, we've heard from females in downhill mountain biking, road cycling, track cycling, uh, roller derby, cricket, cross country, um, swimming, um, and uh, also men that are now coming into the female changing rooms. Um, so, you know, this is, it's, it's not really being talked about enough. Um, it does have really big consequences for the female athletes. Um, and, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's an issue we really need to address. And it's in a, that's a really interesting point. Now, um, so if we look at um, other countries around the world, how, how much do we differ? How, how, how regressive are we? Well, we know, I guess it's kind of, I know this is uh, UK and Canada have had similar inclusion policies brought in um, and there has been pushback um, largely by the female athletes. Um, uh, and they also did polling event. Well, they commissioned surveys to ask the female athletes um, independently, "How do you feel about this?" Um, and the majority, are, you know, vehemently opposed it, and they feel like they have not been heard. Um, that you know, they they're not able to con- give consent. Um, yeah, and they just and it's the same thing here in New Zealand. Um, Sport New Zealand has spent nearly $5 million on surveys since 2018. They have never surveyed females to say, are you okay with this? Do you agree with it? So um, I guess, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's just where we're at with it. Um, so yeah, when, they, it can, yeah. when, it, when it comes to the spectrum of age you're talking about, 12 through to 60, has it forced um, yeah. young girls uh, in that sense at one end to uh, older women at the other end, um, has it forced them to pull away from playing sport because of that? Has it, has it forced them out? Uh, yeah, definitely. Cause so um, the women, that, well, the females that get in touch with us, they are the ones that have already left. So they get in touch with us to say, I've been impacted. Um, this is what happened. They've tried to deal with it within the sport or the um, you know, for example, um, a male using a female uh, change facility at a gym, um, and they, yes, they they have already left the sport. So we we right. hear I... from that example, um, yeah, yeah. So one yeah. of the questions asked in the poll was, do you support sporting bodies such as Cycling New Zealand, Rowing New Zealand, and New Zealand Rugby Union having policies? that allow males to compete in women's sport if they self-identify as women. Now, they're three very high-profile sports in New Zealand. Uh, could you could you run us through the results of, of that one? Uh, yeah, so only 19% of Kiwis um, support sporting bodies um, creating policies that allow males who identify as women competing in the female category. Um, 64% were opposed and 17 were unsure. Um, yeah, so it's yeah, it's a majority who are opposed. Um, I think we also kind of need to. I, I often wonder: do people need to see this in play first before they really can grasp what is going on? Um, you know, we we have a male who's been competing in the female category in um, mountain biking. He is winning pretty much every race. Um, he displaces a female. Uh, competitors on the podium and is able to claim prize money um, and then going back to that power I suppose with uh, rugby 
Um, women suffer, it's proven that women suffer um, concussion more easily and they're impacted for longer. And so there's a real lack of, um, you know, health care for the safety of the female rugby players. If, you know, if they are, or they, if they are to allow this to happen in their sport. In your press release, you mentioned that the male athletes displacing women from their own categories, podium placing or prize money both in New Zealand and internationally is becoming more frequent. Uh, you just talked about the mountain biking uh, side of things. What about um, what about other examples? Uh, yeah, well, as I was just mentioning before, um, yeah, so the mountain biking is one. And just for a bit of perspective on that, we know that uh, this athlete has taken over $7,000 in prize money from the female athletes. Um, you know, and that's, I think it's a pretty big kick in the gut. Um, uh, there's been road cycling, uh, track cycling, roller derby, multiple examples, um, cricket, cross-country, um, swimming in New Zealand. These are all New Zealand examples. Yeah. So Candace, you, it is um, happening, but it's just not, yeah. Yeah, Candice, you, you um, of course specialised in rowing um, and as an endurance athlete. Now, these are very much strength events. Uh, how do you think you'd have felt on competition day if you were looking across uh, to another boat or you were lining up in an endurance race knowing full well that a biological male athlete uh, self-identifying as a woman was up against you? Um, no, yeah, I wouldn't have accepted it at all. I've always respected my competitors. I've always known who they are, even at community sport level. Um, yeah, you, you do research on your competitors um, because, you know, there's a lot of time and effort and resource that goes into training and developing. And to me, if they're going to put a male on into a female race, it just, to me, it makes a complete mockery of the female category and... And our performance. I mean, our performance matters. Um, yeah, I, I really, I, I mean, I probably wouldn't race, to be honest, or at least if I did and podiumed, um, I would ensure that, that fourth place female was pulled up as well to acknowledge the work she's put in because every time a male takes those top places, a female is excluded. And, you know, of course people have the right to identify however they want, but we always need to come back to the truth of the matter, and, is, and that is we cannot change our sex. We, we can't change our sex, and the whole reason why we have these sports categories is to ensure that being born female is not a disadvantage to us, and we can have opportunity to experience success. So, yeah, it's, um, I, I, yeah, it's a big kick in the guts to female athletes, and the silence around it has been um, appalling, I think. Well, I can hear the passion and uh, and the concern in your voice. Um, have either uh, Sport New Zealand or the Ministry of Sport and Recreation shown any sign at all that they're willing to engage in dialogue about this? Uh, yeah, well, we've gone through. So Rowena's um, uh, spokesperson for Save Women's Sport, she's, and she's been involved from the beginning. Um, and so, yeah, we've gone through consultation with them Um Basically, the directive has been from Grant Robinson that inclusion is priority, not fairness, not safety, inclusion. Um, although, I mean, I, I would, to speak to that, I'd say we can have inclusion. We just want biological sex acknowledged, that's all. Um, uh, but in respect to going through the consultation and having dialogue, um, Sport New Zealand 
made a pretty strong point that they believe that uh, sex can be changed, um, which, I, I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, yeah, it cannot be changed. And so that's where they're sort of coming from, um, even though in their guidelines you can just self-identify. So um, there has been dialogue. They haven't listened, basically. Um, Railing Castle did confirm that sport funding would not be impacted if um, sporting organisations or bodies um, chose not to use these guidelines. So it's going to come back to the sporting organisations and whether or not um, how they implement this, really. Yeah, so I just, uh, I just really hope female voices are heard and, and yeah, and that's and considered you know that our performance matters at all levels not just elite it's all through sport so candace um uh, one of the other i i guess there has got to be a point where uh, enough is enough if they continue to uh to not to listen and and get a fair crack in that regard i, I just wonder um whether we get to the point where women athletes girl uh, young girl younger girl athletes etc just say not taking part today, I refuse to compete. Do you ever think it'll get to that point to make a point? Well, it already has. So we had a few years ago when um, Kate started competing in the female category, um, the female athletes did boycott a race. Um, but Cycling New Zealand has allowed it to continue. So he has continued to race. Um, yeah, so they've tried. Um, we also had um, Tracy Lambrich when uh, Laurel Hubbard was competing in weightlifting. She spoke out and she said that, you know, she was just told to be quiet. So, um, and we know from hearing from other athletes as well that they actually have um, clauses in their contracts where they are not to speak against the sporting body or the, you know, the rules of the sport, which is inclusion. So um, I'm not really sure what will happen. I think it'll take a very brave person to to not compete, but basically this has been it's been allowed by the by those higher up and race organizers as well that continue to allow it. Yeah. Mm. So I can I'm hear, not sure. As as, yeah. as I said, I can hear the other concern in your voice and the passion. Look, I, I thank you for coming on uh, the show this morning. Um, at outlining uh, the stance from uh, from your point of view and your organisation's point of view, and I, I sincerely hope that um, you get to get some decent audiences with the powers that be and get to make your point across even more. Otherwise, I can see down the road something a little bit more, I think, drastic happening, and and I think that's the word that it probably applies to this. Candice, uh, thank you so much for your time this morning. All the very best. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Cheers, Candice Riley there, um, as you can hear. Just wants a fair go. I mean, uh, for all these, uh, it wouldn't be horrible to think that um, you know, you're lining up and you can't beat someone because you know as good as you are, you can't because you're not physically strong enough or, you know, you just haven't got it. Um, yet they get your money. That's when it'll really count, when they start really seriously pocketing all the dough that you've tried to get yourself. 9.48 here on SENZ. Concerning. Two and a half hours stuck on the motorway. Hope you're enjoying the show, uh, Mark. Um, also, you, you could text in, if you like, on double eight double three. And our subject today, the four most influential women, in your opinion, on New Zealand sport. It's International uh, Women's Day, 
And uh, we've got one coming in here saying from Scott, uh, saying Lisa Carrington, Valerie Adams, uh, Yvette Williams and Susan Devoy. They'll be on uh, a lot of uh, lists. Uh, and that's uh, Barbara Kendall, Zoe Sadowski-Sinnott and Sarah Ulmer missing out. There's so many great women athletes that will miss out of the top four. We'd love to hear from you. Double eight, double three. We'll give you a multi very shortly as well. Experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Right, today we're going for the Golden State Warriors to beat uh, OKC, uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, $1.51. Uh, Royal Challengers Bangalore to beat uh, Gujarat, uh, WIPL, $1.66, women's IPL. It is in Spurs to beat AC Milan tomorrow morning at $1.83, $4.58. Uh, so that's your multi for today. Suzanne McFadden, the leading uh, journalist uh, from uh, the locker room, uh, amongst other uh, outlets as well is uh, joining us very shortly to continue our theme which is International Women's Day and do women get a fair crack in the media? Behind the stumps to behind the mic nothing gets past Smithy This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ 10.03 here on SENZ on International Women's Day and the reporting of Women's Sport in New Zealand hit an all time high last year reaching 25% of the media coverage compared to male sport this comes off the back of what was a thrilling year for our Kiwi women in sport with the Black Ferns winning the Rugby World Cup. Lydia Coe returning to number one spot in golf and the prospect of the FIFA Women's World Cup just around the corner. So joining me now on SENZ here in the mornings to look out at how women's sport is being reported, how it can be sustained or maybe even re- improved is uh, the Locker Room's Suzanne McFadden, winner of the 2021 Sports Journalist of the Year Award very, very accomplished writer. Interesting articles uh, all the time. Good morning to you, Suzanne. Uh, good morning, Smithy. I think we can drop the 2021. It sounds like so long ago. God. <laughs> yeah, t- 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 it's about damn time you won it again then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I keep trying. Keep trying. <laughs> hey, look, uh, Suzanne, 25%, as I mentioned in my little intro there. Um, that's a pleasing number, but I would imagine still not enough. Oh, absolutely. But you know what? I, to be honest with you, I never expected to get to 25% in my lifetime. So for it to have jumped from, gosh, 11% a decade ago, 15% when we started Locker Room in 2018 to where it is now, um, that growth has been rapid. You know, and I, I imagine that it might plateau now for a while. If we can even hold it at 25% for a little while, um, I think that's still an accomplishment. It's not going to change again. Oh, go on. No, no, no. I was just going to say, when you consider the success of women, and I'm just talking not just about the teams I mentioned, I'm not sure it is fair, 25%. No, it's not. But you'll see it. It jumps up to about... 45-50% 45-50% during an Olympics or Commonwealth Games when, you know, traditionally now women are winning as many, many medals, sometimes even more, 
than male athletes at those games. So we do see that jump up again. But no, it's not. It's not good enough. And until we have more female sports reporters in New Zealand, I don't think we're going to make great gains again. I think in some cases there needs to be more women in decision-making roles in the media for that to happen. But, you know... I We'll just carry on trying. I think that's that's all that we can do is carry on trying and um, especially with the locker room, you know, just shaking up the other media and just reminding them that, you know, women women are succeeding incredibly well at the moment. Look at um, Zoe Sadowski-Sinnott. I think she wins a title just about every week at the moment. And, yeah, that definitely there's more that can be done. And I'd love to see it get to 50. Well, Suzanne, uh, look, you look at the two uh, television uh, outlets that we've got that cover a, a lot of our sport. Yeah. Well, one of Sky Sport CEO, Sophie Maloney, very, very big advocate of yeah. women's sport. Um, head of uh, sport for Television New Zealand, Melody Robinson, um, a great achiever in sport yeah. herself, a terrific broadcaster. So there's an opportunity, surely. Yes, absolutely. And I think that you do see on One News that they do have their... their Proportion of women's stories are are increasing all the time, and they have um, they have a great um, female reporting staff there. I think TV are um, are probably much better than print organisations at having women on their staff. So we are seeing better television coverage. And with Sky, I think you know they've got um, their see the possible campaign to do more for women's sports. So they're trying. So, you know, all that you can ask at the moment is that everybody tries, tries to increase that percentage even more. Are we lagging behind in the world, would you think? Funnily enough, we are considered world leaders in this, which is pretty sad, isn't it? Um, But, like, in 2018, um, there was... I think it was a UNESCO report that found that there were 4% um, of coverage of women's sport in the world globally. It's 4%. So, you know, we are making huge um, impressions on the on the rest of the world, and it is being noted. But, yeah, I mean, it was really interesting at the Rugby World Cup uh, last year. There were quite a few women um, from overseas, women journalists from overseas, who came to that event. So that was really pleasing to see. But, you know, I think it's something like 12, there's only about 12% of press accreditations at major events like Olympics and the World Cups that go to women. So, you know, I don't know whether it's getting more women interested in sports reporting as in, in, the, in a career of sports reporting. You know, it's that whole thing, of, if you can see it, you can be it. So, you know, there needs to be more women's bylines out there and that's one thing that we've really tried hard at Locker Room to do is introduce new female voices through our contributing writers and um, really proud that we've been able to do that and hopefully some of those women go on to full-time roles in in media organisations but the roles have to come uh, up too that's the other thing You have have an association Suzanne with uh, women in sport Aotearoa Uh, what goals are you aiming to achieve uh, through that association? Yeah, it's a really good partnership. It's their sixth birthday today uh, on International Women's Day. Uh, but uh, it's, a, it's a really good partnership. They help us to, um, with those 
contributor voices, so they they um, are a sponsor, but also they run all of our stories on their website. And I guess in return, we just have to keep doing what we're doing. I think that's that's what they want from us to for us to see to see from us that we're doing um, our job to get more women's voices out there, more. Um, profiles of female athletes, more awareness of women's health in sport, more awareness of um, women's coaches and the pathways that, that women have to have jobs in sport. So I guess that's that's the relationship we have there. And, and you know, that's a big part of the ethos too. So um, we, we kind of, yeah, work together on that, but um, we're also quite separate. The Correct the Internet campaign is, uh, and I've read a bit about this, is out mm. there to try right the wrongs we're seeing on the internet. And you've written a, a piece today on how social media can affect our female athletes. Is there any good to come from social media? Yeah, there is. I mean, God, it's it's still, sorry, it's still an evil place. Um, but there is a lot of good to come from it. Um, it's really interesting that with our, with our locker room audience, a lot of that comes from social media. So um, we realised that, um, you know, sometimes Facebook and, and Instagram can be our friend, uh, but we're very aware of the, the you know, perils that um, it poses for our sportswomen and young women. Um, so there is a lot being done. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's an, a special... Um, partnership between Sport New Zealand and Netfit, um, which came out today, where there are free online um, exercise routines and um, a podcast from uh, Courtney Taieri. So, and that's for, to get more girls interested. So, get girls using their phones to um, listen to a podcast about exercising, you know, to, or um, videos on. Um, doing exercises. So, yeah, we all have to be aware that there is good in it, um, but also encourage our young women and girls not to get caught into the trap of um, the pressures to perform or the pressures to conform to certain body types by, you know, what they see on Instagram. Um, it's, it's a really tough one, but if we can use digital technology to our advantage in getting more girls active, I think that's fantastic. Right, here's an interesting one. Um, it just crossed my mind, actually. Um, is there a yeah. perception? Is there a perception um, that women would prefer women to cover their events? Um, would you have any idea about that? Um, and I'll follow that by saying: um, Is it possible that men could just cover women's events better in your regard? Okay, the first part, um, I'm not sure. I think in regards to um, the longer form journalism, say the um, feature writing that we do, um, I think sometimes, you know, women might open up more to a woman reporter, um, especially if it was something about, you know, um, their menstrual health or, you know, just their, their mental health or, um, you know, again, the pressures to perform. But um, I, look, I I totally, um, 
I really enjoy the company of male reporters when you go to an event or, um, you know, they, they do a great job. Um, you see it, um, Andrew Vorman at uh, Stuff is a great example of, you know, he is, is constantly writing about women's football, women's netball, um, women's rugby, uh, women's, gosh, cricket, everything. And so I don't think it matters too much, but as long as there are those female voices in your in your media room, um, that women can see that there is a there is you know opportunities there to become sports reporters. Um, and now the second, can you remind me what the second part was, Smithy? I'm, I'm getting old. I have to remember it myself. Could mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, could men just be better at it? Could be men, could be men be better researched? Could they, for the word of a better phrase, could they care more about it? Oh, do you mean could they try harder, or do you mean yeah, are they better? Yeah, exactly. Could they try harder? Um, bearing in mind that you know it's <laughs> it's it's, it's yeah. increasing in its volume of coverage. I mean, you know. Um, you know, the yeah. more it increases as such, the more time uh, has got to be spent on it by individuals. So men yeah. have to be better, surely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, and we all fall into that trap um, as journalists, um, as time-poor journalists, um, to do the sports that we're interested in. So it's about expanding your horizons and, um, you know, looking beyond the normal rugby stories that you do day in, day out. And, you know, it's so refreshing to meet an athlete or a coach who hasn't really had a lot reported on them before, you know, to tell their stories. You get something out of it yourself as a journalist, you know. You, that's, a, that's why I go to work every day is to learn something new. So, mm. you know, I hope that, that all journalists have that attitude that you're there to learn something new, to push, to extend yourself, to push yourself and to pass that information on to your readers. And, yeah, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, you know, always pushing yourself to do something new. Rightio. Uh, Does Suzanne, that kind of here's a great the question? Kind of, kind of. Uh, here's, the, <laughs> here's the next <laughs> thing. Right. Uh, okay, so never a better opportunity in terms of the world media coming up, and that is, of course, the FIFA Women's World Cup. Now, it's mm. going to be a slightly different um, turn of events here because on form at the moment, we're not going to win it. Um, so a lot no. of the publicity around our side will be probably a side that's struggling to get uh, a win, struggling to perform at the level they need to at the moment, the way they're playing. Um, and I think it's been yep. honestly assessed, So, and, and that's fair enough, I think. Um, as opposed to last year, of course, when a, a women's sport in this country was on an amazing high because here we had this underdog mm. side who turned around and won the damn thing out of nowhere. Um, you know, it was an, an unbelievable uh, wave that um, women's sport was riding. Um, so that's an interesting perspective, isn't it, the dynamics there? A team hosting it yes. that can't win it, a home to uh, uh, a team hosting it that did win it. How do you go about that kind of thing? Do you go more behind the scenes or do you just front up with it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I totally agree with you. And I think it's really interesting, you know, that we look at this wave that women's rugby is riding. If, say, the Black Ferns hadn't made the semi-finals, mm. I don't think we'd be on that wave right now. They won. So that is what, you know, has sent their coverage through the roof 
And that's fantastic. And that's what they deserve. So it's really hard when you look at the football fans and the way that they're playing at the moment, um, their recent results haven't helped them. Um, you know, the media, I guess, could be perceived as being quite negative at the moment around them. So my how I see locker rooms wrong in this is that we have a job to raise the profile of these football firms um, to get young women um, seeing their role models out of the football fence. At the, mo- at the moment, probably young football players in New Zealand, um, the women that they follow are in the US team or the English Lionesses and maybe you know a few football fans. But there's quite a, new, a lot of new young players in there at the moment that we don't know a lot about. So... I, yeah, it's it's digging deeper. It's doing the deeper the stories about you know why are they in this position that they are when you know their world ranking is higher than the way that they're probably performing at the moment. Um, what's behind that? But also building up these profiles of the players because that's what gets bums on seats. Is you know if you know some of these players, if your daughter. Um, you know, is really interested in this player and they have to go to this game. I think, you know, we we owe them the um, service of lifting their profiles. And, yeah, I mean, once if, if they don't make it past the group stage, then, you know, the New Zealand media's interest turns to um, probably, you know, those very top-running teams and that's what people will follow. I it's really hard because, you know, this will be probably the biggest sporting event that we've ever had in New Zealand, that we've ever staged here. And mm. the international media will be absolutely mental. Um, but as far as the football fans go, yeah, it's a, it is, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Right. right uh, two questions, one of which I have to ask, otherwise my producer Logan will never talk to me again. Uh, he's a big fan of uh, New Zealand ice ferns, of course. Uh, then it's a yeah. team made up of working professionals and students, students from all walks of life. Doesn't it just blow your mind what links some people will go to just to re- represent their country in sport? Probably talking male as well as female here, but this uh, is an amazing group of young women. Mm, absolutely. Um, you know, they they like had a, a neuroscientist, a firefighters, um, uh, Police fingerprint specialist. <laughs> the, the, you know, the jobs that these women had blew, absolutely blew my mind. And the fact that they, you know, some of them were mums. So they also had, you know, this burning desire to represent their country in the sport that they love, even though, you know, it's so small in the scheme of things. You know, paying their own way to go to a world championship. Um, you know, unheard of at, in some of our sports now. But it still exists. There's still this um, level of passion that it just, yeah, it, you're right, it does blow my mind. And, um, you know, I don't know that things will ever change for a team like the Ice Ferns. That will probably always be the way because, you know, they don't have the funding. The, the, the sport doesn't have the following. But God, I love writing about those sports. I love telling their stories that don't get told. Um, and and again, you know, building up those personalities and those profiles of 
of these incredible women who, um, you know, outside their day job, um, are New Zealand representatives. And it's, yeah, really cool. I love telling those stories. Well, I love putting you on the spot, so I'm going to do that um, because um, we have today, we have requested from our uh, listeners the four most influential women that they can remember in sport in this country. I'm not going to ask you for four, just the one, just the one. Come on, Suzanne. Come on, the one that's influenced you most growing up uh, through your sporting history, etc., and and to the stage that you've come now as a prominent journalist. So the, the one New Zealand women's athlete. (laughs) <laughs> That's so mean. Um, oh gosh! Look, it has to be Yvette Williams. And okay, I, I've told you this before. Growing up, my heroes were, you know, the the Black Caps and the All Blacks because I didn't know enough. There wasn't enough media about female athletes, and I. It, it, you know, really common with athletes that you talk to now who were your role models and they'll, they say, oh, that was me, now I'm me. And that's fine, that's great, you know. But um, I always knew in the back of my mind about Yvette. Um, her husband had worked with my auntie at the phone, um, you know, where they used to stick the, um, the, what do you call that place? Phone, phone exchange. exchange. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was almost like, oh, we, we, our family kind of know her. <laughs> but then getting to meet her, and I get, got to meet her a couple of times. I even got to make her lunch one day. Um, <laughs> she was an incredible woman who, you know, achieved so much and it could have achieved so much more too. But in those days, you stopped competing to start having a family and that was it. You know, um, you got married and you stopped competing. And I just love the fact that when I went to her funeral, um, it was about her family first, and then it was about her sporting achievements, her, you know, becoming the first woman to win an Olympic gold medal, the first New Zealand woman to win an Olympic gold. But it was family that was most important to her. And I love that. And I think that we forget about that sometimes when we think about, you know, our athletes. You know, they do have other lives other than just being famous for what they've done on the sporting field. So, yep, she's my heroine. Good on you. Good on you, Yes, you can completely because you're a journalist and you can. Uh, Suzanne McFadden, (laughs) thank you very much for your time this morning and your insight. And... um, um, yeah, I think it's very it's a very fascinating subject actually and you've enlightened me greatly I appreciate that have a great day International Women's Day thank you very much In, any time you want to talk about it Smithy I'm here good on you girl thank you very much I appreciate it cheers 10.24 here on SENZ download it today and never miss a moment of your favourite show streaming live anywhere anytime anytime Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, it's coming up to 10.30 and uh, that, uh, like yesterday, is going to be the time that we play Stump Smithy uh, because we've got uh, other stuff lined up uh, at uh, 11.30 to go through, including um, a Mount Rushmore. Uh, we've had uh, some uh, good stuff coming in from you on the text line. Jeremy has come in with uh, Irene Van Dyke, Sarah Olmer, Lisa Carrington and Lydia Coe 
I mean, there's four uh, absolute fresh ones from uh, the previous ones. So uh, there are plenty of, of suggestions coming in. Um, so we we do certainly uh, appreciate those and keep them coming and we'll read them out. Double eight double three is the text line. But the phone number that you need to know right now is 0800 Most of you have got it uh, down pat anyway. But 0800 It's time to get on the phones. Brian is waiting for you. Uh, Logan will be the quiz master and we'll stump Smithy, if you can, for a $50 bonus bet from the TAB. Uh, that's coming after the news with uh, our woman of the day here. Aroha! Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yep, just like yesterday, we're keeping you on your toes and we're playing Stumped an hour early at 10.30 rather than 11.30 because at 11.30, Smithy, we're doing our Mount Rushmore of Kiwi women athletes, the iconic ones, the ones we love, the ones that have been inspirational uh, for young New Zealanders everywhere. We've got some great ones coming through. I'm really looking forward to going through ours. Yeah, so am I actually. Uh, we've got uh, audio clips of their performances too, folks, so make sure you stay listening uh, to us uh, just after 11.30 this morning on that regard. Um, also, uh, we might uh, hear a little clip, and I'd love to hear a little clip uh, from an interview that Logan did uh, with Charlize Ledger-Walker too, because uh, she will be a superstar in New, in New Zealand basketball, women's basketball already is on the world stage maybe in the women's NBA, so... Uh, I'd like to hear a little bit from that and you can uh, watch the rest of that uh, interview on SENZ YouTube channel or listen on your favourite podcast platform as well. Right, business at hand is uh, a quiz though uh, and who have we got first up today, Logan? Yeah, business business at hand is a $50 TAB bonus bet and we've got a first timer uh, to start with. Looking forward to this one, Brad from the McKenzie country. Come in, mate. G'day, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Great, mate. Nice. Hey, uh, do you know how Stump is played? Uh, yes, I do. Yep. All right. Awesome. All right. I'll just get you to your topics and we'll get cracking. Football, rugby, and cricket. Take your pick. I'll go cricket. All right. Good luck. First question for you, Brad. The Black Caps take on Sri Lanka tomorrow at Hagley Oval in the first of a two-test series. Who holds the record for total career runs scored in test matches between the two nations? Uh, what, individual batsmen? Yes. Um, I'll say Jay Warner. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. He's actually mm. second on that list. Okay, interesting. There could be, uh, if it's not him, it could be Sangakara if we're going there. Uh, we could go Martin Crowe, got 299 in one innings. But I've got a sneaking suspicion that Stephen Fleming had a wonderful series against them. So uh, I'm going to go Stephen Fleming. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, oh, first, first ball stumping there. Unlucky, Brad, but thank you so much for playing. Definitely call again. We'd love to have you back on. Next at the crease, from Invercargill, we've got Lou. Come in, mate. Hi. All right. We'll Lovely get... weather here. <laughs> love to hear that. We'll get stuck into it. Second question here for you, mate. Cricket, $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. Who holds the record for total career wickets and test matches between the Black Caps and Sri Lanka? Oh, 
what's his name? Um, the the spinner fella. Uh, oh, I can't think of it. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, oh, I'd have to go for to wear this. Uh, Shane Bond. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, I know, I know you know quite a bit about uh, the history between the Black Caps and Sri Lanka. Do you know the answer to this question? Well, I'm, 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 I'll tell you what I'm going to do here because it's I'm such a good guy. I'm going to I'm going to help Lou out here a wee bit, and uh, I'm going to say the guy you were thinking was, and this is the guy you wanted to say, is Mattia Muralitharan, right? Is that the guy you were thinking of? Yep, Just that was him. Chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, underweight. So, so for that reason, I, because he knew exactly who he was wanting, Lou, uh, he just couldn't yeah. get the name out properly. And it's a tough name, to be fair. It's a tough name. There are about 500 different versions of it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give Lou that as a, as a, because I haven't spoken to Lou before as, as a given. How's that? Yep, that works oh, for me. All right. I did have Ella. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll go on to the last question, mate. So you're still alive. $50 TB bonus bet up for grabs here. Who owns the record for the most runs in a test innings between the Black Caps and Sri Lanka? Martin uh, Crow. That's the couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot. And away it goes. And if you didn't have that one, we knew Smithy did because he mentioned it about a minute ago. <laughs> Yeah, I sat and watched the whole uh, every every run of it, and I uh, was e- equally frustrated when he couldn't get the three hundredth. But hey, Lou, uh, fantastic! Yeah. Uh, I think it's the first time I've uh, competed against you in this regard. And guess what? You've won. So that that is terrific news for you. So you stay on the line, um, and Brian will get you. Just confirm we've got your details, um, and uh, get that uh, fifty dollar bonus bet to you as soon as we possibly can. You have a fantastic day, Smithy. You might have heard of my dad. He was Bill Gwynn. He umpired Test cricket back in the sixties. Really? Well, there you go. Didn't umpire me, but yes, I have heard of him. So there you go, Lou. That's fantastic, yeah. and no wonder, no wonder that you chose cricket. So uh, congratulations. So that's 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 cool to know, um, uh, and it's pleasing to know that you're a listener as well, Lou. So um, just stay with us and uh, play again uh, if you get the opportunity to ring through. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Cheers, uh, Lou from Invercargill was uh, the winner today and we congratulate him for that it is uh, 10.38 shall we go to a break Logan Uh, or would you like to, uh, is there any announcements or anything you'd like to come up with, you generally do come up with something spectacular uh, before the end of the day (laughs) Thanks mate, Uh, I do have one from New Zealand Cricket, this is part of uh, the efforts to help raise funds for those communities devastated by Cyclone Gabrielle and future disasters they've put, they will be auctioning off two signed shirts from that historic test match against England in Wellington ANZ New Zealand and New Zealand Cricket have combined forces to assist the New Zealand Red Cross uh, Disaster Fund with that dedicated opening ODI uh, of Sri Lanka v Black Caps at Eden Park on March the 12th. The fundraising initiative to be known as Pitch In will start with ANZ New Zealand donating $1 million to the cause and New Zealand Cricket donating all ticket sales from that match. Public can text 
donate to 540 to receive a link to the dona- to the donation site sorry with funds going directly to the New Zealand Cross disaster fund that's text donate to 540 and if you go onto the New Zealand cricket website you can find the links to bid on those framed test shirts what a piece of history that would be to own smithy it would actually um, because people are raving about it uh, modern day uh, cricket followers saying it's the greatest test match they've seen uh, certainly it's uh, the narrowest victory uh, New Zealand have ever had in that regard although that uh, classic against the West Indies when we won by one wicket compares to that uh, with um, Stephen Bock Gary Troop I think it was back in those days uh, running a leg by to win that test match against the very powerful West Indies back in 1979 from memory uh, but yes uh, that was uh, superb at the Basin Reserve so those shirts are genuine collector's items. Uh, two of them up for grabs should fetch a handsome, a handsome prize uh, to go forward to that uh, Cyclone Relief Fund. Uh, we shall take a short break, I think, uh, right here and now and come back and reassess what we're going to do in the next uh, 15 minutes or so. Covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Well, they have a bit of a twilight meeting today at uh, Topo, and uh, the first race begins at 2.10 this afternoon. Uh, Louis Herman Watt joins us now uh, through to uh, race 8, uh, going at around about uh, 5 past 6 this evening, so... Uh, Louis, uh, anything special to look out for there, do you think? I've uh, got a wee filly racing called If I Get Paid, which is just a toenail in her, so we're excited for that. I think she's race six. Um, I'd say she's a genuine each-way child, so that's pretty exciting, mate. But right now, I'm right in the midst of making a bacon and egg pie for the cricket tomorrow. What is the key to a bacon and egg pie? Do you like relish in your bacon and egg pie, or are you just pure bacon and egg? No, no, you've got to have a bit of relish or you've got to have a bit of tomato sauce just to sweeten it up a wee bit. Not not a, over the size of it, but um, I think you've just got to have uh, a little bit of something extra in there. Not that I'd be an expert by any stretch on food, as you well know. But I, I'm just thinking uh, I'm just thinking a little bit of relish. And then what cricket are you talking about? Don't we have the Black Cats playing? Oh, they, oh, you're going. Of course, I forget you're down in Christchurch now, so you'll be on the bank, will you? I'm going to go and check it out for SCNZ. I'll be floating around Smithy, so I'm looking forward to that. I'll get some stuff up on the socials. But, yeah, I've just put a little bit of sweet chilli relish in there, and I think I've made the right call, but I'm always curious people to get people's takes on it. Oh, yeah, no, that's a winner for me. Um, you know, I, I absolute winner for me. So uh, I think you've done the right thing. But a sweet chilli, yeah, a bit of sweet chilli to go with the bacon and egg. I don't mind that at all. Any peas in there? No peas. I've never been a fan of bacon egg pies with frozen veggies, and oh, I don't know. God. Maybe that maybe that says says all you need to know about me. Maybe it does, which disappoints me ever so much. But I, you know, I'm prepared to make uh, allowances. Hey, look. Um, uh, speaking of digestion, let's uh, digest the the prospect of uh, the. Uh, Auckland Cup, which is now just a, a few days away. I think Alan Sherrick's got a great contender there. Yeah, well, ladies, man, here's the thing. He missed in the Wellington Cup, but they've kept him in training, and he went huge at Tarapa, didn't he? So the only issue is, and it's not really an issue, 
but it's just that he's going to give Aquacade three kgs. She has done mm. everything right for this race for a long way out. So will that three kgs be costly in the end? I don't know. I would still be putting a big... If you've had a bet on Aquacade in the futures, I'd be saving over Ladies Man all day of the week. Anything around $4 for Ladies Man, have a bet, have a saver, absolutely. Any uh, New Zealand horses in action on Australia over the weekend, you know? Um, no doubt we will have something. Maybe lickety I'm not sure. Something will pop up from there. I'll let you know tomorrow. Okay, and before I let you go, um, in the history of women's sport in this country, uh, the most influential women for you, the most influential one woman, actually. I won't ask you for four. I'll just ask you for one. Louis? Oh, that is an incredibly tough question, Smithy. Um, can I give you Linda Jones? You can give me Linda Jones because Linda Jones is uh, in a survey I was looking at uh, a little bit of uh, history with it now, but Linda Jones was right in there. Linda Jones, champion women's jockey. And like it. Absolutely paved the way, trailblazer of the truest version of that globally. Globally. Um, yeah, probably deserves more respect than she gets. Okay, I'll take that one on board too. Yeah, the lovely uh, Linda Jones. Uh, fantastic rider. So, uh, Louis Herman, what you, you have a terrific day. Uh, make a really big fat bacon and egg pie, and um, you get around the banks there at Hagley Oval tomorrow and meet the people. Uh, do the right thing by the company. Good on you, pal. It's ten forty nine here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, it is uh, 10.55, and uh, how appropriate that we talk to Pip Morris on uh, International Women's Day because, of course, Pip uh, is paving the way, pioneering the calling of greyhounds from a woman's perspective, doing a fantastic job as well. And there are greyhounds today, um, and they are at Palmerston North, 12 races starting just after 12 o'clock. Pip, good morning to you. Happy International Women's Day. Morning, thank you. I'm um, pleasure to be calling the 12 races Day by myself, heading Women's Day. So looking forward to my flag in the commentary box. And just on International Women's Day, the GAB really are coming to the party and putting lots together around the women. And today, if you back a woman jockey ride at Taupo, and they get second, third, or fourth, you will get a bonus back. We've also got uh, extra racing-related markets around, including combination winners, women's only jockeying challenge. So there's lots of have a look at there at the TAB website. Also for the sports as well, we'll have related boosted odds on the IPL with Sophie Devine and Amelia Kerr, the Super Rugby Alpuki as well, four options there, the netball as well as the Phoenix. So do check those out on tab.co.nz. There'll be so many options all around the woman and we'll be putting it right through to the weekend. Bonus back today with all those female jockeys. And I think Lisa Cole, as far as one of the women trainers, will have a fantastic day at Palmerston North. And I've made my best bet, a girl being big time noise in race number 10 of develop number 10 smithy. So, yep, getting behind the woman definitely today. Do check out those odds on gabby.co.nz. 12 race program, Pip. Uh, so, wow, that's going to be a challenge for you. <laughs> I certainly have a lot. I did cover uh, for Robbo on the Wednesday and the Friday, and I had about 12, I think, on the Wednesday. So I've had my toe in there, and I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to calling today. And I, I honestly do think Lisa Cole predominantly maybe take out nearly the whole card. Karen Walsh, though, I think, has the first phone up there over the 660 metres. So should be a female 
dominated day, I think, at Palmerston North. Well, and why not? Why shouldn't it be too, Pip? Uh, you have a terrific day, although a, a hard-working day, and thanks very much for that inside right from race one. Uh, Karen Walsh might uh, win that one there. So, OK, uh, 10.57, Pip, uh, have, a, have a fine day. Uh, 10.57 here on SENZ as we head our way into uh, the 11 o'clock news. We're going to talk some golf after the news. Uh, the Players' Championship, of course, starts at TBC Sawgrass. Uh, and that is on Friday. So we'll catch up with uh, David Bolesky. Yes, Logan. Yeah, speaking of golf, uh, I have some great, great news. It is just at this itself has absolutely made my day, Smithy. Coming from Netflix, I don't know if you've been able to see the full of season one, but Full Swing is coming back for season two, and it's going to follow a whole new cast of golfers. Okay, including... Well, we don't know, no, yet. No, yet. We don't know yet, but right. really looking forward to this okay. one to see. I mean, especially with the way things have changed, the kind of U-turn in a way of how they want to approach things next year, uh, what that might look like behind the scenes. Oh, yeah, just really looking forward to it. I, just, I loved the first one. And also, uh, one for the Warriors fans out there, Smithy, I know there's a lot of you running it straight today from 3 p.m. Sammy Hewitt, he's got a big guest today. Warriors hooker Wade Egan is going to be joining him uh, from the start of the show. Okay, Wade Egan, right. I think he had a pretty good performance the other night, uh, I, Wade Egan. so Yeah. yeah. I think he kind of gets ridden off a bit by the Aussies, I mean, as the Warriors often do. I mean, he's not a Harry Grant, but he is. I think he's working his way to being one of those premier number nines. And uh, coincidentally, after that win against the Newcastle Knights, it's been the first time in a long time, Smithy, but the Warriors have named an unchanged lineup to face the Roosters. Okay, right. Uh, interesting. Okay, Logan, that's cool. Uh, I shall um, <coughs> look forward to that interview this afternoon with Sam. Uh, I think Kempi's on holiday. They get some holidays, those breakfast boys. Um, it, it's, um, it's been very, very interesting uh, to get your perspective on this, and Wayne from Carmo's come in with an interesting one. Aaron Baker has to be on the list. Simply an unbeatable machine. And she was. Uh, and the sister wasn't too bad either. Philippa Baker um, in the boat. But Erin Baker, absolute legend. A legend in the hardest of all sports. Erin Baker, she might be on your list. She might be on mine. I have to wait and see at 11.30. Straight after 11, we've got golf. The Players' Championship with David Bileski. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, we've been featuring uh, women uh, all morning uh, as a part of International Women's Day, but uh, we're just going to uh, branch away from that uh, and uh, talk some uh, men's golf here with uh, our analyst and expert, uh, Dave Bolesky, who comes on the show quite regularly. He's uh, got a terrific website. Uh, he'll tell you about that very shortly. But uh, also, um, he gives great uh, information about uh, the possibility of upcoming winners because David studies form and golf. And form, uh, believe it or not, is a huge thing. Uh, we're talking about the Players' Championship. It was first played for in 1974, and it was won by, guess who, Jack Nicholas. 2002, it became very special to us. Is won by Craig Perks out of Palmerston North. Uh, tournaments uh, played at the TPC Sawgrass in Pontevedra Beach, Florida. Uh, Cameron Smith is the defending champion, of course, but he won't be there. He's not allowed to be there. Um, and that is interesting in itself. David, uh, good morning to you. 
Good morning, sir. Very pleased to be with you again. Yeah, cool. Uh, I always love talking to you, David. I, I must when the when the big ones come up, and this, of course, is regarded as the fifth major. Why is that? Well, I mean, it's the flagship event for the PGA Tour. Bear in mind that the four majors, the PGA Tour has a stake in, but is not the the sole rights holder too. So this is their their flagship event. And I think if we look at the the list of winners across the years, um, this course has been a real leveller um, for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're long off the tee. It doesn't matter if driving accuracy is your greatest strength or you're one of the best iron players in the game. Uh, this, this is the type of tournament where the the it does it levels this playing field in a way, and um, it doesn't matter where the strength in your game is. So, um, the best player generally um, for the week is the the one who comes across the line. So, the the course is iconic. Obviously, you've got the the beautiful seventeenth green, um, which we we all know and love, and. Um, yeah, it's it's an amazing event with an incredible atmosphere, which um, it's a, it's not an easy course, so it it does make for a very very compelling viewing. Well, it was uh, named the Stadium Course. There's a, a couple of course options there at Sawgrass, but they played on the Stadium Course because of the fact that a lot of holes are surrounded with great viewing areas for the fans, including you, as you say, uh, 17, which I would imagine is probably one of the most talked about holes in golf. Is that fair to say? I, I think it would have to be. Yes, it is. Yeah, and it's it it just comes down to so many of the winners of the Players' Championship have been decided on that 17th. You know, we've seen Sergio Garcia throw away a lead by putting a ball into the water with an incredibly aggressive approach shot. We've seen Tiger, Tiger Woods hit his iconic snaking putt down the hill um, with the, the iconic commentary of better than most. You know, so it is, it is a, a hole which is just featured across the time and that always goes a long way to determining the winner of the tournament Right, so while we have a vested interest in it this year as I mentioned Craig Perks won it in 2002 uh, but Ryan Fox is paired with Jonathan Vegas and uh, Peter Malinati uh, in the first two rounds of this tournament, is it the kind of course that suits Ryan Fox? I, w- I would love to say yes but I, I unfortunately don't think this is the best fit for him if there's one area of Ryan Fox's game which can be a weakness, it can be spraying it off the tee and unfortunately TPC Sawgrass is somewhere that really penalises you if you do find the multiple water hazards that are on the course, if you do find the thick rough, if you're on the wrong side of the fairway and you have the wrong approach on into the green, it can it can really um, pick those holes in your game um, pretty readily. Obviously you had a great um, final round last week at the um, Arnold Harmon Invitational, which was fantastic. Another top twenty finish in one of the biggest fields on on the tour. Um, I just wonder if this is maybe the best best spot for him. Look, I, I really hope that he can club down um, off the tee, use his iron off the tee a bit more. Um, I think that's going to be key to to his chances of success here is is finding those fairways and finding the right spots in the fairways. And we, we have seen him be able to do that on specific events on the DP World Tour. The Sudal Open comes to mind, which is kind of a narrow tree-lined course where um, he was very, very close to victory. And actually, he hit his, um, his two-iron and three-iron off the tee um, a large percentage of the time. So that's going to be key for him here. So there's probably others that I prefer, but um, I certainly am in the, the Ryan Fox camp and, and hope he goes well. It is missing uh, last year's champion this year. 
Uh, 43 of the top 50 uh, will be playing in this tournament, but it will not include uh, Cameron Smith because um, he becomes the first player not to defend other than for reasons of injury, um, which I think is a real shame. I think it's uh, probably the first week that Cameron Smith will really feel like he's missing out. Yes, I agree. I think he would, would absolutely love to get the title. And obviously he had um, some very emotional scenes because um, he had all his family there with him from Australia, which was one of the first times since the COVID pandemic started that he'd been able to reconnect and spend some time with them and then obviously came out and, and won that victory with them all there watching. So I'm sure that he will be trying to avoid all coverage that he can to try and put it out of his mind that um, he's made the choices he has and um, as a result missed out on the opportunity of defending this title. Um, and especially if we see Rory McIlroy towards the top of the leaderboard, I think he'll be avoiding the TV coverage even more. Yeah, he probably will be, and we're likely to do that. Uh, Rory McIlroy is actually, <coughs> at the moment, uh, the favourite on our betting sites uh, over here uh, at uh, at nine bucks. Right, let's uh, look at the, the feature pairings, if we could, David. Um, Max Homer, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth um, on one side of the draw. John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy on the other. They're the marquee pairings uh, on either side there. Uh, and all six of them have uh, shown recent form, including, uh, including Jordan Spieth. He has, yes. And um, the, again, with Spieth, we would go to would be his driving extras, maybe the the thing that's going to come into the factor for him. Um, obviously, we know on on his day, he can be one of the best putters and one of the best um, around the green on the entire tour. Unfortunately, we haven't seen that Jordan Spieth for... Um, the last couple of years, he's starting to find shades of form on that on that side around the greens and get his touch back a little bit. The the one out of those six names that really intrigues me the most is probably Scotty Scheffler. Um, he is just playing on a different level at the moment, and his approach game and his ball striking is just. Um, out of this world is absolutely incredible. You you do find a disproportionate number of shots at TPC Sawgrass between 50 and 125 yards with your wedges and over 200 yards and Scotty Scheffler is one of the best on the PGA Tour in both of those areas. Um, he's plenty long off the tee but he's also highly, highly accurate with the drivers so I think this is a really good spot for um, Scotty Scheffler and out of those names he would be um, probably my preferred candidate. Okay, well, you, you talk about spraying off the tee with uh, Ryan Fox. I guess in a in a sort of a weird sort of a way, you could say the same about Rory. Yeah, Kurt, he, he hasn't necessarily had his best driving of late, um, but he does also just have the ability to, to pop up on these leaderboards and, and find his way to the, the top of the field. Uh, th- this can be a really volatile tournament. Uh, it, it has had iconic short-priced favourites, win. It's also had some triple figure oddest winners as well. I mean, we saw even last year, like Anaban Lahiri was second behind Cameron Smith, you know, very easily could have won this tournament. Lee Westwood was runner up here. So we've seen some longer priced players right there in contention um, over the, the past few years as well. So you you never know who, who will bring their game at the beginning of this week and um, and really show up and perform I agree that, that Rory can spray it off the tee a little bit, but I think with his driving accuracy and the way that he's hitting his irons at the moment, um, I'd expect to see him in the top 20 um, more often than not. 
Justin Thomas, I, I think uh, fair to say in the Arnold Palmer, just a fraction disappointing. Hasn't quite got all aspects of his game in shape. Is, uh, but you couldn't write him off, could you, Justin Thomas? Justin Thomas is one of the best wedge players on, on the tour, so that that is going to be an advantage coming here into um, TPC Sawgrass. Um, he's great with his long lines as well, one of the best approach players on the, the tour um, in his day. I, I think the thing with, with Justin Thomas is it, it comes down to the putter for him, whether he's going to find um, a good putting week for himself on the greens. And he, he has he has previously gained putting here and of course was the winner in 2021 here as well so he's obviously got some decent course form and some decent performances at some correlation courses that I'm keeping an eye on as well. Um, my my concern probably comes from the approach play with Justin Thomas I mean for him his path to victory is kind of going out there and gaining eight strokes with his approach play and then being a, a the field level putter that's kind of his path to victory and we just haven't been seeing it with the irons as often as we need to um, for Justin Thomas to really be in contention um, he, he did have the wrong side of the draw at the Arnold Palmer you know there was some very big wind that came through on the Friday and he was he did face the worst of it um, on that on that side and he, he actually shot the lowest round during that windy period um, because his ability to shape the ball is a real asset which can be an advantage here at TPC Sawgrass as well so I would have loved to have seen a bit more of his recent form um, on the improve um, but it's certainly a course that he he has, it fits his eye Okay, just uh, the two tournaments that have just been complete uh, with the, in terms of uh, our interest in particular uh, what's the Arnold Palmer Invitational Kurt Kiriyama, did you see that coming? I did. I had him. I had him in our selections last week. Um, so there, we, we picked him up after round one at um, sixty to one. So, um, Kiriyama oh. uh, has been one of the biggest boom or bust players um, on the the PGA Tour across the last couple of years. So there's only been um, twelve other players who have had as many um, second or higher finishes as Kurt Kiriyama. Um, so Kiriyama is one of those those boom or bust players who's either missed the cut or he's finished like second or third and he's, he's he's shown across those events that he's managed to tangle it with some of the biggest names. I mean if we look at the, the Mexico Open comes to mind, you know, he was second behind John Rahm and he was right there with John Rahm and he kind of didn't go away throughout the entire tournament. Um, he had a second at the CJ Cup in South Carolina which was run, won by Rory McIlroy and he was only one shot off there as well. Or the Scottish Open last year when he was second behind um, Xander Schauffele. So he's already shown this kind of repeat behaviour where when he gets into contention, he kind of stays there. And so after the first round, when he he performed the way that he did, um, we added him to uh, to our original six selections um, as a seventh in play at, at 60 to 1. And, and of course, he, he managed to hold on for the victory as, as all the other big names sort of crumbled around them. But it wasn't necessarily surprising given the fact that when he gets in contention, he does tend to stay there and doesn't crumble like some of these other um, longer odds players have shown a tendency to do when the other big names are around them and he gets intimidated. You know, he's a, he's a short man in stature, um, Kurt Kiyama, but um, he's got heaps of courage and um, he you know he played in the New Zealand Open in 2018 followed him from the air through the DP World Tour where um, he he played very very well over on the DP World Tour and, and now this is absolutely the biggest victory of his um, of his career so it was very very pleasing to see and um, he should be very proud of himself. He's got a seriously big bank account now too as, uh, as a result of that. 
uh, David, uh, and just um, just finally, before I get you to give um, uh, the listeners all your details, how they can get hold of you, because you do, as you say, 60 to 1, there's value there, and you do do your homework. Um, New Zealand Open, uh, quite a weird final day in terms of betting and, and uh, an outcome uh, with a bloke who admitted he didn't think as long as his bum pointed to the ground he'd ever win it, and Brendan Jones. Yeah, look, it's been interesting, the New Zealand Open, the last few years. You know, it was great to see it on, on Sky and get some coverage in there as well. Um, you know, the, the the player that I really had my eye on going into that tournament was Jaden Ford, who's a um, stunning Wellington amateur who's really on the up, and, and he's a, a huge talent that I think that we all need to keep a, an eye on. So um, we had him within our selections at 400 to 1, and then after the first round, he was um, sitting 8th, and a pretty indifferent second round unfortunately took him down the leaderboard a little bit but he ended up finishing 26 so um, for for an amateur um, at 400 to 1 that wasn't um, too bad at all um, Daniel Hillier played very well as well um, who we had at 61 he finished in 12th so yeah. um, he was right there in contention but yeah, the, the the difficulty comes, I think, with the with the New Zealand Open is that getting data and statistics around these events, like um, some of these Asian Tour events, becomes very very difficult. And that you haven't got the same infrastructure around these tournaments, and therefore you haven't got the stats to really provide, you know, that kind of inclusive experience that I think fans are really looking for now. You know, they want to see what's making the players perform, what's really driving their game. You know, they want to dial, delve into those stats and, and get in behind certain players um, based on what they're they're doing out there on the course and really give some I guess some um, you know some information around these players for for the fans to really delve into. So um, I'm sure Brendan Jones is um, absolutely chuffed. You know he's been a been a veteran on the um, Australian PGA Tour um, for for quite some time and great for him to to get across the the finish line. I think Millbrook's a stunning course. Um, it's mm. it's always makes great viewing. Um, and yeah, I, I hope that we continue to see investment in the New Zealand Open. I hope that we continue to invest in big players coming to get eyes on the tournament so that we can boost the sponsorship that comes with it and continue to grow it as an, as an event because it is our national open and um, it should be treated as such. Um, it was great to see Steve yeah. Alka here. I'll, I'll add that. And mm. um, obviously we played very, very well in the first round. So um, good for him for, for coming out and supporting it. it was, that was really great to see. Yeah, interesting actually. Very interesting. Yeah, 1.65 million. They can get it up to two million. Um, a lot of uh, big name players, even live players, might even think about trying to get some mm. points out of that um, if they were permitted to come. Uh, David, uh, thanks so much. But please uh, tell the, uh, the good people um, how we can get hold of you and uh, get some inside information for this players' championship coming up. Yeah, so so I work for um, Win Daily Sports, which you can find at windailysports.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Deep Dive Golf, that's at Deep Dive Golf and we've also got a show on YouTube that we do every uh, Wednesday at 3 o'clock New Zealand time so you can tune into that and we'll be uh, we do a live draft on, on air on YouTube where we talk through some of our players and it's always a, a fun show with a lot of banter so it'd be great to, to have some people along for that but um, the main one will be Twitter at Deep Dive Golf David Bileski as always a pleasure talking to you in the preview of the Masters um, uh, thanks so much for your time, mate. Have a terrific day. Thanks, Lindley. Thank you. Cheers. So it's 11.19, just uh, outlining uh, the New Zealand market at the moment. Um, McElroy, 9 bucks. Ram, 11 bucks. Sheffra, 11 bucks. Cantlay, 16 bucks. And Thomas, 
19 bucks. They're the top five in the New Zealand TABs betting at the moment. Ryan Fox, $176. $176. Nice time to look to perhaps at the top 20 market just to see what kind of value you can get there. Uh, it is uh, coming up to 11.20. Uh, more to come here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Turn up the volume, we're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Rightio, let's uh, get across to the sports desk uh, with Logan Swinkles. I talked uh, a little bit about uh, this wonderful young woman, Charlie's uh, Ledger Walker, making great strides in women's basketball in um, the NCAA system at the moment, but who knows what's ahead of her, Logan? Yeah, well, yeah, I caught up with her yesterday, actually. Quite fortunate, I think, because of how busy of a schedule you have when you're a student-athlete. They're always travelling, and, of course, they do have their studies on top of that. And we heard yesterday from her mum that she is actually a very good student as well as being a good athlete. So, I mean, that's something that's always pleasing to hear uh, as a parent, no doubt. But one thing uh, I did want to ask her was about the future, uh, both with New Zealand and her going forward. This is what she had to say. The Walker name is so synonymous with Tall Ferns basketball. You made your debut back uh, when you were 16 in 2018 uh, with the Commonwealth Games. Five years on from that, how much do you think the level of uh, basketball has been raised uh, by New Zealand? Yeah, huge. I think basketball in New Zealand is becoming so relevant and I'm so excited um, for that and to be a part of that. Um, you know, I know, obviously, I have a younger sister, Tanika, and she's um, and still in, obviously, all the New Zealand basketball scene and mum being a coach like she is, she's always around the sport. And so, obviously, we're still very, very connected, even when we're out of the country. Um, and it's just awesome to see um, how much basketball is really being put on the maps. And from a perspective over here and talking to college um, coaches and scouts like that, I know a lot of them now are looking to recruit more internationally and they are looking at New Zealand and they are looking at, you know, the nationals that we have and the different rep tournaments that we're having. And I'm just so excited because we have so much talent in New Zealand and I really think a lot of people can come over here and play and show, you know, how good they can be on a bigger stage. Um, And I think that's just I, I want to see that continue to rise within New Zealand. And I think that we've still got a long ways to go um, in terms of being able to showcase the talent that we have better. Um, and obviously that's in the works and there's different ways we can do that. But yeah, I'm just excited. Like basketball is definitely on the rise. It's such a, a cool sport. It gives you so many opportunities outside of New Zealand, which I think other sports don't necessarily do. Um, and so, yeah, just for the younger generations and even, even now, you know, I'm still excited. The Tor Ferns program um, obviously got a great coach in Guy Malloy and what he he knows and his knowledge that he's bring um, bringing to this program is immense. And, yeah, I'm just excited that I'm a, a part of it all. <laughs> uh, I know after junior you also have your senior year, so it might be a bit too far in the future, but have you given much thought to the WNBA? Yeah, I definitely have. Um, it's kind of something that I've started – to definitely think about more seriously just because I am, you know, in my senior years. So um, WNBA prospects, you know, they start looking at or they're watching you ever since you get in college and they start drafting their teams, you know, 
four or five years out because there's not many teams in the league and it's so, so hard to get on a roster, especially right now when they're only really retaining 11 people on their roster. So, And you have obviously vets who stay around forever and don't <laughs> want to leave. Um, but it's definitely always been a goal of mine to get to the, the WNBA and um, something I'm yeah definitely thinking about um, at the moment. So that's awesome news to hear when we had Megan Compain uh, earlier in the show, Smithy, who has been the first and only uh, Kiwi to play in the WNBA, and that's going back to 1997. So, so to have another one potentially going there would be great. You can imagine there is a lot of eyes on her now. There'll be even more once, once uh, March Madness comes around. She mentioned her sister, Tanika. That's right. There are three of them. You've got Crystal, who's been playing in the WNBL. You've got Charlize who's 21, who's playing in college, and you've got Tanika, who's only 16. So that name, the Walker name, is just going to carry on. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, uh, they, you know, fantastic family. My God, the genes in that family are just carrying on. Uh, it is amazing. Do you, do you want? To, would you like to get across to the DeMont sisters, or do you want to hold that back? Uh, we'll, we'll get to that later, but if you want to hear the rest of that interview with Charlize Ledger-Walker, as you mentioned before, Smithy, yeah. head along to our YouTube channel at SCNZ Radio for the full interview, and you can catch all other clips and sorts from all the other shows here on SCNZ. Okay, before we head into the news, um, just uh, some news on the multi. Uh, we got it up yesterday. Uh, Chelsea beat Dortmund this morning 2-0. Thanks for that, Zade. Uh, I know you're a Chelsea fan, so yes, uh, Chelsea beating Dortmund uh, 2-0. Uh, the Delhi women winning yesterday, and so did the Sacramento Kings. So uh, that was a successful one. Uh, and uh, someone has texted in and said, what is today's one? Just to repeat it very quickly, the Golden State Warriors to beat OKC at $1.51. Uh, the Royal Challengers Bangalore women's team to beat Gujarat. Uh, that is at $1.66. It's in the women's IPL, of course. And the uh, Spurs, the, you know, that, that really great football team, Tottenham Hotspur. Tomorrow they'll be playing AC Milan. I got them to win actually at a buck eighty-three Spurs. Uh, that'll multi up at four dollars fifty-eight. So I hope that answers your question about the multi. It's eleven thirty. Uh, time to get across to uh, Aroa, of course. Right, uh, we're having a, a little problem with our uh, audio there. We're going to play, we were going to play the uh, the jingle for um, Star Spangled Banner. Uh, I think he's got it now. He's got it now. It's Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, roll it. Roll it. Ah, perfect. Yep, that's the one and only Jimi Hendrix, the late Jimi Hendrix, and uh, that is very, very recognisable, that instrumental. And it signifies uh, what uh, we've been talking about uh, and hinting at this morning and asking for your feedback on as well, and we thank you very much. Uh, Linda Jones must go close, says Brian. Uh, Lois Muir must go close uh, as well, says uh, Carolyn. Thank you very much. Um, but Logan Swinkles and I have both uh, had a crack at it well, overnight. I gave it some serious thought, did some research, and... Wait up uh, so many options. I mean, it's just uh, whatever you come up with in the end, you've left so many out that you can't be eternally right. It's as simple as that. But what you can do is have your own opinion, and that's exactly what we've done. So we're going to have four each. I'm going to go first, and uh, I'm going to go back to um, Yvette Corlett. 
uh, Nee Williams. Her name was Yvette Williams uh, back in the day, but uh, now her married name is Yvette Corlett. Uh, her married name was. Um, and she's uh, Helsinki, uh, 1952, New Zealand's first Olympic champion. 1952, 71 years ago. She was uh, our first champion in the long jump, 1954. She broke the long jump world record in Gisborne, of all places. Uh, on retirement, uh, number one long jumper, number five in the pentathlon, 12th in the discus, 19th in the shot. She had four Commonwealth golds, and she also had the time to represent New Zealand at basketball. This is Yvette Corlett, Nee Williams. And now the women's broad jump. Yvette Williams of New Zealand, covering 19 feet, two and a quarter inches in her first leap, beats the game's record by two inches. Yvette Williams again. 19 feet 4 and 5 eighths inches. A games record by an outstanding athlete who also gained a place in the women's javelin. Williams again. Second place with 124 feet 6 and 3 quarter inches. Oh, you got to love that, uh, that uh, old-fashioned pathé stuff. It's just... Absolutely brilliant. I love it. Okay, so that's my number four. Logan, how'd you go? Three quarter inches. Ah, oh, back in the 19, 1950 Empire Games, that was. How good. Mm. Like, I'm going to start with a pick that, I don't know, I might get some recency bias in my one, but look, I'm, I'm only 36. Give me a break here. Uh, I met... Eliza McCartney uh, prior to the Rio Olympics for a feature that I pro- I was producing for News Hub where I was filming her in action with a super slow-mo camera and just kind of getting all the details of that motion. And like at the time, she was coming into her first Olympics. She wasn't a household name yet. Uh, it's the first time I really paid any close attention to pole vault, to be fair. And I was just blown away by the athleticism and the physicality involved, you know, clearing some of those heights. She had to clear 4.8 metres uh, on her way to winning bronze, where she captured the imagination of a nation. From New Zealand, the first time Olympian, looking very relaxed, is 19-year-old Eliza McCartney. This is at a lifetime best height, Eliza McCartney. Whoa! Over she goes! And into the lead, Eliza McCartney! Alana Boyd stands between Eliza McCartney and a bronze medal and set a new Australian record. Boyd, it won't happen. McCartney, Eliza McCartney of New Zealand by virtue of the first four successful clearances has taken the bronze medal and it's just hit home. Ah, 2016, Smithy. What a great Olympics that was. And I'm just so excited to see that she's on the comeback. Keith Quinn there with a wonderful description there too. And she is on a comeback, winning the New Zealand title just the other day. Right, my number three, uh, probably one of the strongest, uh, fittest women that we've had um, in this country. And I say strong mentally as well. She was incredibly tough. Uh, They say she had a killer instinct on court. British Open squash champion eight times. Uh, Has a wonderful career after that including uh, her work with the Halberg Disability Trust. She's also been, of course, the race relations conciliator. I think it's Dame Susan DeVoy, and I get a bit scared. She's fantastic New Zealand women's sporting person. Out. Out. Looks out. Yeah. Kevin Max DeVoy. 
Well, we've just seen a fine example of squash and perhaps a repeat of the World Championship final last year where Susan DeVoy has once again won in three straight games. And the scores 9-4, 9-5, Well, Susan, you can only be pleased about the final result today, winning in three. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, it was a hard three, but I'm uh, glad it didn't go any longer than that. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm always generally thrilled when I won, but New Zealand Open's pretty special. How did you feel at the end of that first one when you looked as though you were going to lose it? Um, well, I was a little bit tired, actually, and uh, I really think it was important to get that one. I put a lot into getting that first set because uh, it's really important when you play someone like Lisa. She wins a set, she gets a lot of confidence, so, uh, you know, it's really important. But it was a hard match. Oh, great. Absolutely great. Dame Susan DeVoy, no problem there in uh, my top four. Love it. Now, look, I don't think you can understate uh, how important and influential it is to be the first. To be the first Kiwi woman to win a gold medal at the Winter Olympics will ideally have a flow-on effect for the sport with young Kiwi women wanting to pick it up. I am, of course, talking about Zoe sadowski Sinnott, along with the silver medal that she won in the big year. That gold medal in slope style at the 2022 Beijing, Olymp uh, Beijing Olympics was simply special. And the 92.88 Zoe sadowski Sinnott has done it on the final run of competition. She grabs the gold medal. Julia Marino will grab the silver. Oh, doesn't that just instill so much pride, Smithy? Born in Sydney, but there's no way those Aussies can claim her. Zoe is a Kiwi through and through. And how can you not love the Sadowski Senate uh, name when Father Sean Sinnott is dropping F-bombs on TV? He's just a legend in his own right. Yes, uh, and uh, well worth uh, being in anyone's top four, of course. Uh, my number, th number two, actually, is Bo Gleong Ko. Bo Gleong Ko. Uh, other words, uh, we know as uh, Lydia Ko. Um, won the first PGA event at the age of 15. 15 when she turned professional. Uh, she's won a squillion million dollars. She's the uh, youngest to win a major at the age of 18. In 2014 and 2015, she was Time magazine. She was in there, one, uh, top 100 most influential people in the world. Get that, in the world. Um, and ESPN, the Impact 25 athletes uh, plus influencers have made the greatest impact for women in sport. Can't leave her out. Uh, of course, uh, she's gone to the Olympics for us. Uh, she has had uh, 26 professional wins, turning pro at the age of 15, 19 in uh, the LPGA, uh, 7 in Europe, and Logan, she ain't stopped either. Lydia Coe. And now... It's official. Lydia Coe is a champion again at the CME Group Tour Championship. And the Player of the Year. For someone who seemingly held it all together today, look at that emotion. It was all just bubbling under the surface. What a season for Lydia Coe. Yeah, and Lydia Ko is on my Mount Rushmore as well, Smithy. Uh, she ascended to the world number one ranking for the first time back in February 2015. She held that for 85 weeks. 
until June 2017. Uh, what you just heard there was back from November 1 when she won the CME Group Tour Championship and that record $2 million uh, first prize. With that win, Co also won the season's money race, the Veer Trophy, for lowest scoring average and the LPGA Player of the Year. One heck of a 2022 for her. And to cap it all off, she returned back to the number one ranking for the first time since 2017. And now she's a very happily married woman, Smithy, and she believes that's having a positive impact on her game. So here's to Lydia Co having an epic 2023. Absolutely brilliant. Brilliant, uh, Logan. Uh, great uh, adding to that as well. Uh, shall I go for my number one? I'll go for my number one first, shall I? All right. um, Dame, Val- Dame Valerie Adams. Just has to be, I'm afraid. Uh, well, I don't say I'm afraid. I, I mean, it's quite clearly for me, easily. Double Olympic champion, only woman uh, to hold four consecutive world championships in an individual event. 107 straight victories. She went 107 without getting beaten. Four-time world indoor champion, three-time uh, Commonwealth champion, youth, junior, senior, world uh, champion, one of only three women to ever achieve that feat. Not just that. This has been a career of absolute inspiration to women, not just around New Zealand, but around the world. Easily for me, number one, Dame Valerie. What Dallas. a story this is. The world youth title holder, the world junior title holder, the Commonwealth title, the world indoor champion, the world champion. And away she goes now in a bid to be the Olympic champion. Now that is more like it. Very good from Valerie Vili. Thumbs up as she walks away at 20 metres 56. That's fantastic. Which means it's Valerie Vili. And the V is for victorious. Love that. Sure is, and so often victorious under the name Adams as well. Logan, you're number one. Uh, it was hard to leave Val off, I'll be honest, but I'm going with Lisa Carrington, now nicknamed the goat in the boat. Uh, Lisa has dominated throughout her Olympic career in kayaking events. 12 World Championship gold medals, 5 Olympic gold medals in the K1 200 metre in 2012, 16 and 2020, plus the K1 and K2 500 metre at Tokyo. She's an inspiration to Kiwi girls everywhere she's a darling in the media and she's from the bay the bay of plenty that is here she is making history at the tokyo olympics already she's new zealand's most successful female olympian and equal gold medalist her haul is extraordinary she is leading at the moment half a boat length ahead a medal here that would make carrington the best Still work to do. And she comes to the line. She is New Zealand's most successful Olympian of all time, Lisa Carrington. Oh my word, that looked easy. Half a boat length. Brilliant. Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And it's 11.50 here on SENZ, just a quick chance to pop across to Andy Thompson. Of course, it's Rural Roundup Day being Wednesday, 12 to 1 on all frequencies except Auckland and Wellington. Andy, what have you got on your show today? G'day, Smithy. Um, yeah, look, we've got um, Rural Games are on this weekend in Palmerston North, so we're going to talk to the uh, Daniel O'Regan, who's the marketing manager. Brendan Telfer, always talk to Telf. He's got some thoughts, interesting thoughts on the Adi Savia situation, so you might want to have a listen to mm. that. 
Nicol Horrell is the Chair from Environment Southland. Now there's a really interesting Environment Court ruling. It's an interim ruling in Southland on their water and land plan and this could have a massive impact on New Zealand farming if it goes through unchallenged, unchanged. So we're going to chat to him about that. Um, Phil Duncan from Weatherwatch. So we're going to find out whether we've got some fine weather. And Nick Hawkins from Bailey's uh, Real Estate. He's got some interesting thoughts on where we need to be putting our resources on farm going forward in the light of the... Um, uh, of the floods, obviously, up in the Upper North Island. So plenty to come on the show today, mate. Why don't people like wool anymore, Andy? Um, we all love wool. Um, unfortunately, we haven't found a use for it. That, that We produce so much of this coarse wool. Fine wool we can get rid of, no problem. Um, we need to find a really, really good use for coarse wool. And at the moment, we don't. It used to go into carpets, mate, and unfortunately, and uniforms, actually, for the Korean War. Um, but we, we need to find a high-value use for it. And uh, too much synthetic carpet around, um, that is being changed. But, yeah, it's taken a while. But we do have to find, and we should, because it is one of the most sustainable, produced um, natural fibres in the world and why is anybody's guess in fact if you want to make a lot of money Smithy figure it out for yourself okay I'm going to do that this afternoon while I'm cutting the hedge that's my big job Andy uh, thank you very much I'll give you about seven minutes to uh, go and get ready for your show which of course folks is on all frequencies uh, except uh, Auckland and Wellington so that covers all the rural crucial rural roundup areas Andy Thompson have a terrific show uh, we'll be back uh, shortly to just catch up with staff he's uh, in operation as well this afternoon <laughs>